0: are listening to the Patriot Pastors Podcast, where we talk about today's issues from a pastor's perspective, as well as calling America back to the faith of our fathers. Pastors Wade Lentz and Harold Smith are your hosts, and now, let's get started.
1: Thanks for tuning in today. Wade and I are going to continue our interview with Pastor Mike Stone. If you missed that first interview, you can find a link down in the description below. But we're going to pick up right in the middle of our questioning of him. And uh, wait, I'm looking forward to this. How about you?
0: I really am. You know, the questions that, that were given to us by several pastors in uh, that we know are very good questions and, and questions that really what the SBC is going through right now. And so this is a very relevant uh, podcast episode that we hope is a blessing and a help to pastors and church members alike. Let's get
1: right back into it.
0: The SBC has been in decline in in attendance and baptisms for many years now. Tell us maybe why do you think that is and what do you think the answer may be to resolve that?
2: Yeah, it's a complex answer because it's a complex problem, uh, and there are probably many tributaries that go into that stream. If you just look at baptism rates and the decline of them, I'm sure some level of that may be people who are uh, more careful about regenerate church membership and not um, not being pragmatic and uh, man-centered gimmicks and things like that mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to evangelistic effort. Um, I'm sure that that is some measure of it, but the decline in our evangelistic statistics um, is so precipitous uh, that people just being kind of more concerned that they only baptize folks with evidence of conversion does not account uh, for the tremendous decline that we see, although that may account for some measure of it. I I want to go on record and say it's ultimately not because of anything the Southern Baptist Convention is doing or not doing, or in my case, the Georgia Baptist Convention doing or not doing, or here in South Georgia, the Piedmont Okefenokee Baptist Association is doing or not doing, and it's not ultimately because of anything Emmanuel Baptist is doing or not doing. Baptism is in decline. Evangelism is in decline because individual Christians are not being faithful to share the good news of the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. It really comes down to an individual Christian's uh, obedience. Now, there, that does not negate the importance of leadership. Every issue that would impact our churches negatively comes down to the uh, individual actions of a member, uh, but if they would be on autopilot and serve Jesus, God would not have called some prophets, some pastors, some evangelists, some teachers uh, right. to, to preach the Word. Uh, so, at an organizational level, we've got to face the fact the Southern Baptist Convention has been in decline uh, in just about every statistical category uh, worth measuring. Uh, part of that is, at the national level at least, the North American Mission Board, which is the entity charged with evangelism, has seen declines uh, in the evangelism side of their budget while there are a multi, multi-fold uh, uh increases in church planting. We've put all of our evangelism eggs in the basket of church planting. Uh, Just in recent years, we've seen uh, something like a threefold increase in the amount of money uh, given to church planting, and yet we're seeing uh, baptisms and our evangelistic effort go down, 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 down. And Part of the problem is uh, it's representative of a top-down hierarchical approach where we're sending money to a national entity and expecting them to do something that God expects to be done more faithfully and fervently through the ministries of a local church.
0: Right. And that's good.
2: T- tied into that, uh, one of my goals, if if God be pleased and the messengers are pleased to elect me as the president, I want to call the Southern Baptist Convention to just an old-fashioned wave revival. Uh, to take an eight-week period, maybe a 10-week period. I'd love to work with the North American Mission Board to put all the promotional material together and supporting resources to call each of our churches to uh, evangelistic events. And and obviously, that would need to be easily customizable to the uh, the even the soteriological preferences and positions of a church, their methodological preferences. I don't care if it's a if it's a five-day tent revival, or a one-day harvest crusade, or a pastor who just determines that on a certain day I'm gonna I'm gonna find a salvific passage and I'm just gonna preach to those that are lost, having encouraged my people to get all your lost friends here on a certain day, um, when we have done that in the past, uh, we have seen evangelistic fruit uh, from that. So. It ultimately comes down to individual believers in individual churches, but I think there's some things even at the national level we can do uh, to encourage that grassroots evangelistic effort. You can't escape
1: the responsibility of each Christian having the obligation. The great commandment is not to the pastor. It's not to a convention of churches or it is to each individual person. And, uh, but we're not devoid of leading our people to do that on the pastor basis. And as you've mentioned, those are some great ideas I wholeheartedly. You mentioned uh, the North American Mission Board. One of the things I hear a lot is I would call it doctrinal drift in the North American Mission Board. And and I want to bring this up. Um, I, I talked to a pastor last night after church and um uh, he kind of, uh, you know, we were talking back and forth about what was going on in, in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I said, well, you know, there is the Baptist faith and message. And he said, yes, but it's, it's never really used. It's never really brought out. And I said, so it's more like the Baptist faith and recommendations. Do you see or are you seeing a Kind of a failure in the North American Mission Board to take a doctrinal stance in some areas, or I remember there being a big issue with um, private prayer languages and, and and those sorts of things with IMB. Is there anything you want to address as far as maybe staying grounded in Baptist doctrine?
2: You know, I could take that question in a couple of different directions. Um, let me just deal with with broadly. If there's any idea that the Baptist faith and message is not being used, uh, I would disagree with that characterization. The challenge that we have is we don't agree on a definition of terms, and in any battle, uh, whether that's in the society and the culture at large, within a local congregation or a convention of churches, the battle for the dictionary is a is a really is a really big one. Uh, for for example. Um, uh, there have been churches, many of them uh, planted uh, through and supported by the North American Mission Board, that have had uh, females listed as pastor, and it may be listed as children's pastor, preschool pastor, music pastor. Uh, that's not terminology that I use, that we use here in our church, but I do understand the reality that that can just be clumsy language. It's, it's not biblically an ecclesiologically faithful language in my estimation. But I do understand someone who say, well, that, that's just a title. Uh, and it's not the title. And I've heard this for the last several years, being on the executive committee, then serving uh, on the credentials committee, which uh, in the last uh, year and a half has received a lot of these uh, concerns or referrals. But one of the one of the answers that we hear is, well, she's not the senior pastor or the lead pastor. Well, then just this past week, when we see this church out of South Florida, which I'm, I'm, I'm willing to say these, this man and his wife love Jesus. Uh, I've not listened to any of the messages. They may preach the Bible faithfully. I'm, I'm not even getting into any of that. But when the question comes up that the man and his wife are listed as lead pastors, mm-hmm. plural, and when there are only two of them on the screen and the titling says lead pastors, that clearly means that he's a lead pastor, she's a lead pastor. Mm-hmm. Then there are videos where she's teaching and the titling is just for her as lead pastor. When when that issue is raised, then the answer that is given is, well, they don't define lead pastor the same way that you do. And I'm like, well, which is it? Is it a problem if somebody calls themselves senior pastor or lead pastor Uh, or is it when it, when they are a senior pastor or lead pastor, now we're going to say that the terms don't mean anything. One of, one of the things that I have seen, uh, every time I talk to a group of pastors, I hear these reports of challenging doctrinal positions in our church plants. And one reason is we have become top down in our church planting efforts. If there is a if there's a church there in your local community that has a man and a woman calling themselves co-pastor or lead pastors, and they show up on a Thursday night to the local association with their application for entrance into the uh, uh, Anytown Baptist Association of the Arkansas Baptist Convention, somebody there is going to raise the point that they're familiar with this church and that she is a co-pastor. So... Sometimes these, these problems are caused by a lack of information, and even the excuse or the answer that is given is, well, we didn't know that. Well, all of us as pastors know we've had stuff go on in our churches and our own membership that, that we didn't know about. But I will tell you this, if, if I have problem after problem, issue after issue, in my Sunday school teachers, for example, that I don't know about, before long, the volume of those problems tells me I've got a process problem. Yes. How is it I've got all these leaders doing problematic things that I don't know anything about? And uh, as troubling as that is that the one of the answers seems to be in this most recent case is that that church has pulled out of the Southern Baptist Convention, therefore problem solved. Well, I, I regret that they've left. If they don't believe with our doctrine, they perhaps needed to leave. I grieve over that, but I understand their decision. But the problem is not solved. We, we have a process problem that I believe is fundamentally an ecclesiological problem no. that a, a national entity, biblically, has not been called by God to plant churches. Right From the opening pages of our Bibles, things begat and reproduce after their own kind. Mm-hmm. We need churches planting churches, man. not denominational entities planting churches. That that gives greater accountability, greater relationship building, greater long term connectivity. Because my relationship and identity is with the pastors that I see and and fellowship with on a regular basis, not mm-hmm. some, not a big name preacher or entity leader that I see once or twice a year uh, at a conference.
0: Yes, man.
1: If I was going to say it, I would say it like <laughs> that. But I, I, you say it so much better than me.
2: <laughs> let me share one other thing on that. And I, boy, I know that this gets into insensitive areas. But, but one of the problems we have is, uh, even on the local church level, is that leaders that are afraid to speak into sensitive subjects. But if you're faithfully exegeting the scripture, walking through books of the Bible, you're going to have to do that. So, so let me dance out here where maybe angels fear uh, to trod. Uh, Some weeks ago, of course, the Council of Seminary Presidents issued their collective unanimous reputation of CRT. Then we had uh, some noted African-American churches that began to pull out of the Southern Baptist Convention. Well, in at least a couple of those cases, their articles, I mean, the African-American pastors announcing why and uh, the rationale for pulling out of the Southern Baptist Convention, told various reporters, in one case, if I recall, it was an actual blog from the pastor, that they were uncomfortable from the beginning affiliating with the Southern Baptist Convention. But there's reference to the money that's available uh, for our church planters. So when an African-American church withdraws from the Southern Baptist Convention because of what they at least feel or perceive to be uh, problematic views on race relations, Listen, I grieve over that. Every pastor I know, you grieve when people leave your church, even Mm -hmm. if you think probably it's best that they left for personal or doctrinal reasons. You still grieve over that. It's a punch in the gut. But when a pastor leaves and says, I've only been Southern Baptist three years, four years, five years, and I was uncomfortable from the beginning, my question is, as tragic as it is they're leaving, why isn't the story that we have financially funded churches that from the beginning of their affiliation process are telling us we're not comfortable being part of you mm-hmm. for whatever reason that may be. I'll tell you this as a local pastor. If if somebody came into my church and said, I don't agree with your church's doctrine. I'm troubled by your church's history. I'm kind of ashamed for people to know that I join your church. But I understand if we're officially members here, my daughter can have her uh, wedding in the church sanctuary at no cost. Right. I would do everything I could to keep them from officially being part of our church because you cannot have a healthy uh, faith family right. when people are entering that don't agree with your positions.
0: Yes. And that's really one of my main issues that I had as a pastor with the North American Mission Board, that I was so tired of seeing all of these new church plants that took our SBC money to get started. And then as soon as they were established, they were, had no part of the SBC for various reasons. Right. And these new churches that we were starting were churches that I, as a pastor would never recommend anyone to attend because of their theology. And then uh, their methodology was all crazy on top of that. But what can a president do mm. to help this issue? I mean, your your role as a SBC president is a little bit more it's a little bit different than President of the United States. You just can't sign executive orders like <laughs> Joe Biden has done right. here recently, President Biden has done. Um so what can you do in that process to to like you said, allow churches to plant churches and not it coming from an entity?
2: Well, I think we have to start by having an honest conversation, which the presidency affords um, a platform, both literally and figuratively, to do so. The one thing we've got to come to terms with is that a decade or so ago, uh, when in Orlando, Florida, we as a convention adopted uh, the recommendations from the Great Commission Resurgence Task Force, it is not working. Now, I hesitate to say that because people who know me know that theologically I am not a pragmatist, uh, but but pragmatism isn't a sin, depending on what is it that you're talking about. Um, cooperative program giving is in steep decline across the country. Our commitment to what we call Great Commission giving uh, isn't working. Uh, reports that you see about increases in cooperative program are because the state conventions are sending larger and larger percentages to the national convention, which I actually, it's the reason I voted against it at the time in Orlando, because I think it's a step in the wrong direction to take more and more resources out of the local uh, grassroots level and send it to a a national organization to be used in kind of a top-down way. So one thing I think the president has the ability to start a conversation. Are we is this working, are we headed in the right direction? But organizationally, uh, the president has the ability to make some key appointments. Uh, In an organization the size of the SBC, the president is intentionally a few steps removed from the uh, board appointment process. The president uh, appoints a committee on committees, which then uh, selects the committee on nominations, which then nominates to the convention members of the various boards of trustees. And those are the ones who manage and direct uh, the uh, the various entities and agencies and employ uh, the entity heads. So one of the things that I would be committed to as president is to seeking to appoint, seek to appoint a committee on committees that shared these values and these concerns, and that were committed to find a committee on nominations that shared these concerns. And uh, and then ultimately you've got uh, trustee uh, trustees to the various boards who would share those concerns. So it's about four or five steps uh, in that process. And guys, uh, I'll be very candid with the two of you and with your listeners. I want to be clear that that's what I would want to do. And if messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville, Tennessee, this June don't want that direction, if they're happy with business as usual in the course that we're on. I'm not mad about that. Uh, I've got plenty to say grace over here in Blackshear, Georgia. When God first laid this on my heart, uh, the potential to to pray about it, I reminded the Lord my northernmost member lives 25 miles from my church. I haven't lost anything in Nashville. Uh, I haven't lost anything anywhere else in the Southern Baptist Convention. So I, I don't say that arrogantly or even in some sense of undue confidence or machismo, but just to be clear that's the direction that I would seek to provide leadership uh, as the president of the SBC and if messengers. If that resonates with them, then I'd try to take mm-hmm. your full slate of messengers to Nashville, Tennessee. And um, uh, having sent all your messengers, a link to pastor Mike stone.com.
1: Yes. That, that pretty much answers our next question. <laughs> Why should a conservative Southern Baptist pastor stay in the SBC? And I, I would just, Based on what we've heard thus far, because Mike Stone could be the next president and things could change <laughs> and it could return to a, a conservative Southern Baptist convention and not the direction it's, it appears to be headed. So you've already answered how that can kind of be fixed through that office. But, uh, but what would you personally say, Mike, to pastors, conservative pastors that are just fed up with the bureaucracy, don't like the direction things feel like they're on the bottom with no voice?
2: Yeah. And uh, what what would you say to those guys? Well, I would say that from a purely literal perspective, there there's probably not a more deliberative, democratic process in the world than an annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, pastors who don't stay engaged, who don't stay involved, uh, who also complain, are a lot like the church members who never come, never give. They never show up for a business conference where the decision is actually going to be made. But they complain about the youth minister that was called or uh, the budget changes that were made. For me, it really comes down uh, to the fact that there are millions and millions and hundreds of millions in missions, dollars that come through every year, and literally billions of dollars in kingdom assets uh, that are connected to the the broader ministry of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I want to um, be used as a voice. Uh, to rally those resources, to be more faithfully on mission for Jesus. And uh, you you can't be an agent for change. You can't move the needle, so to speak, uh, if you're not involved. Every church that is officially listed with the Southern Baptist Convention gets at least two messengers. Uh, with financial giving, you can qualify for up to 10 more for a total uh, maximum of 12. But every Southern Baptist church has two. With 47,000-plus Southern Baptist congregations in the United States, uh, you're hard-pressed to get 9,000 or so messengers uh, to an annual meeting. Some of that's just the geographic challenges of getting from wherever you are to, to Atlanta, to Dallas, or in the case of this summer, to Nashville, Tennessee. I would remind your listeners that Nashville is a destination city. And every senior adult that likes to RV, uh, that uh, that whose heart resonates with this, needs to go register mm-hmm. as messengers, vote their biblical convictions, hang around a couple of days, go see Opry land, and maybe stop through Memphis and visit Elvis's grave on your way back home. <laughs> but um, uh, I, but real, real quick, the essence of this question and my answer to it is really what's at the heart of a new group called the Conservative Baptist Network. And I did not found that group. I didn't start that group, but I joined that group uh, last summer. Uh, the Conservative Baptist Network has at its core to send a message to guys who are, uh, and, and ladies, lay people within the SBC, who share the convictions that, uh, that you two guys have expressed to say, uh, we're not a fringe within the Southern Baptist Convention. We believe that we're in the very center and the heartbeat of who Southern Baptists are. So I don't think the Conservative Baptist Network is a group on the fringe or outside the SBC saying, leave the SBC, come join us. Rather, we're a group firmly planted in the very center of the Southern Baptist Convention saying to guys who have one foot out the door, and as we say, another foot on a banana peel, uh, that you don't have to leave uh, over concerns that you have. Stay in, stay involved, stay invested, and let's seek to bring about the change that would be consistent with the convictions that we hold. We want to do that in a winsome manner, uh, not in a caustic argumentative manner, but at the same time in a manner that is clear and firm. And so um, that's really what's behind the conservative Baptist network uh, is really trying to keep guys involved. Yeah, I would say
1: stay in and vote for Mike Stone. That's what I would say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we will leave leave, uh, your website in the comments that we post, uh, MikeStone.com, correct? Tell tells pastor, pastor,
2: Mike pastor Mike Stone, Pastor
0: Mike Stone dot com. I'm going to leave with one question. This is the question that we received from a pastor on uh, our, our Facebook page. And The question is, why has the church been so silent about current political issues and big tech censorship?
2: Hmm. One reason I think is related to what I've come to know as the cancel culture. There are a lot of pastors I've spoken to privately um, who want to address issues, but they know that they will be bombarded and attacked, for example, on social media. And because of COVID and everybody, you know, being forced, you know, for the last several months uh, by circumstances to be on things like Facebook Live and YouTube Live and, and all of these different live streaming. Uh, when I talk about being on social media, that now includes your sermon on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever it may be, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe even the pastor's uh, Sunday school class that, that may be on Facebook Live. They, they, they are fearful, many are, that if I speak out on these issues, I'm going to be accused of, of favoring pedophiles, mm-hmm. of being in favor that I'm a racist, uh, that I'm a Christian nationalist, uh, all these sorts of things that you're going to be labeled with a hashtag uh, in the in this council culture. And I would hasten to say that a lot of that concern is that you're going to be beat up by other Southern Baptist pastors. Uh, it's one thing to post a biblically faithful message and be chewed up by pagans who just happen to be maybe a third cousin on your Facebook uh, friends list. It's a whole nother thing to find yourself the object of ridicule, scorn, and mockery and derision from people who are Southern Baptists and Southern Baptist pastors, and in some cases, employees of Southern Baptist institutions that the little old ladies tithe gift from your church helps to pay their salary. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that grows thin, it grows wearisome, but it causes a lot of... uh, people who would otherwise speak out to say it's just not worth it. That doesn't mean they're not going to cl- declare biblical truth, uh, but they're not going to make these pointed applications to things going on in the culture.
1: Yeah, I think with the big push, especially during COVID, there was a big push to go make your church virtual online. And if there was ever a threat to virtual online church, it's big tech censorship because most yes. of that's done over Facebook. Yes. And I, I really felt like, um the ERLC should have been a real champion against big tech censorship. But I really, you know, they're again been silent. And I don't want you to have to address any of that. But I was thinking I bought a uh, I bought a Christian book at a used bookstore. I don't remember what it was, but inside the book. And I didn't realize this till I got home. There was a a bumper sticker. And it was from the Dwight Eisenhower presidential election. You remember the slogan? I like Ike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We need I like Mike stickers. That's what we need. <laughs> and, uh, uh cause mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, I, I'm, I've known you for a while, but the more we talk, I'm like, this is the guy that's got the ideas that he's the guy that is carrying my viewpoints right to the convention. And I'm really, really encouraged by our visit today. Very encouraged.
2: Yes. I would just emphasize in closing that, um, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from across my area, our state, and from across the country, but at the end of the day, uh, the only votes that count are the ballots that are offered by people who've gone to Nashville, Tennessee. That's assuming that we're able to have the annual meeting with uh, the new administration of uh, President Biden, uh, uh, the governor there in Tennessee, et cetera, Uh, but assuming that we do that, uh, you've got to go to Nashville, Tennessee to the annual meeting, register as a messenger, and you can't be out at the Lifeway bookstore looking for a good deal on another Bible uh, <laughs> when these elections are happening. you got to be <laughs> on the floor in the meeting, raise your ballot for uh, some matters or cast your ballot physically, uh, which is what will happen in the presidential election. So I would encourage everybody to get as many messengers as you can, and uh, let's meet in Nashville this summer.
0: Very good. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Mike, for meeting with us. I know that you are very busy. You have a beautiful family and ministry. And I know that in the coming days that you're going to be bombarded with such things as these podcasts and people wanting to get to know you better. So we want to uh, allow you to uh, have as much time as possible. But thanks again for joining us.
2: Guys, it's been a privilege.